0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Yukai Chu, the author of Actionable Gamification and creator of the Octalysis Framework. We talked about the four phases of a player's journey in the Gamification Framework and how it can help make your product stickier and prevent churn. We also discussed the examples of good gamification in SaaS, how much is too much, and how user onboarding can play a vital role in gamifying your attention. Yukai also talked about the importance of community and user retention, the role of personalization and gamification and common mistakes companies make in implementing gamification principles. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode and if you have any feedback I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow
1: For yeah. we saw these,
0: these different... you just gun for revenue in the door. This is churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth.
1: How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn.
0: You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to to retention and engagement.
1: Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Yukai. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello. I'm glad to be here.
0: It's great to have you here today. Uh, For the listeners, um, Yukai is an author and international keynote speaker on gamification and behavioral design. Uh, He is also the original creator of the Octalysis framework and the author of Actionable Gamification, Beyond Points, Badges and Leaderboards. Uh, Yukai has helped a variety of companies from seed stage startups to Fortune 500 companies such as Lego, Uber, Volkswagen, Porsche uh, to implement gamification strategies uh, throughout the org. And I think uh, in the topic of today and the topic of the podcast, churn and retention, uh, gamification is something we've touched on on maybe one or two episodes previously where we talked about Jenna Bestow and how they gamified their user onboarding. Um, but I think today would be really interesting to take a deep dive into gamification, how it could potentially help your startup and how it potentially might not be the right thing for your startup either. So, uh, Yukai, maybe let's get started. Uh, You're the original creator of the Octalysis Framework. Maybe you want to talk us through what it is and how it can help companies.
1: Yeah, so the Octalysis Framework is a system I created uh, and it's called the Octalysis because it's a combination between an octagon and analysis and it breaks down all motivation into what we call the eight core drives that motivate our behavior so everything we do inside or outside of applications games or real life is uh, based on those eight core drives so if there's none of those eight core drives there there's zero motivation no behavior happens and then out of those eight there's different natures of core drives so some of them are what we call white hat motivation core drives they make people feel Uh, powerful, they feel good, they feel in control. The problem is that there's no sense of urgency, so they can tend to procrastinate at times. And then there's what we call black hat core drives that make people feel urgent, obsessed, sometimes even addicted. Uh, But in the long run, it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths because they feel like they're not in control of their own behavior. So that could cause people to burn out. Then we have what I call the left brain versus right brain core drives, and they're not necessarily geographically on the left versus right side of the brain but the left brain core drives symbolically represents our logical brains well whereas the right brain core drives symbolically represent emotional brain and what's interesting is that the left brain core drives deal with extrinsic motivation things we do for reward purpose or a goal but we don't necessarily enjoy the activity itself so once we obtain the reward we hit our goals or we get used to the reward uh, we get we stop doing the behavior and then the right brain core drives deal with intrinsic motivation, things we just enjoy doing to the point that we just want to do it. We would even pay money just to experience it. And if, if we lost all our progress the next day, we would still do that behavior today because we just want to do something that, that is enjoyable. So a lot of my work is not just to create engagement and behavior for companies, it's really understand the nature of that motivation. Is it long-term, is it short-term, is it intrinsic and extrinsic? And it's really taking people back to what we call human-focused design as opposed to function-focused design. So it's not focused on efficiency, but focused on maximizing human motivation engagement.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, we, we also had Nuriel previously on the topic talking about behavioral design. Uh, and obviously, I know in his book, he mentioned some of your work as well. Um, what's very interesting, I think around this topic is that like when we think about churn or retention, typically, um, like Essentially, people end up churning from your product because they're not receiving value. Uh, But more often than not, like for them to get to that point where they're receiving value on a regular basis, it requires them to start developing certain behaviors and using your your product and developing a behavior. So. You mentioned there's these eight uh, different sides to the framework and these eight different motivations. Like, maybe you want to pick a couple and uh, talk us through those motivations a little bit more specific detail, uh, what they are and uh, how uh, companies can actually use them to try and drive action.
1: Yeah, I'll go through a, a few, maybe not all eight for time purposes. But for instance, the yep. first one is what we call epic meaning and calling. So this is people feeling motivated, and driven because they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And you see that in uh, universities trying to build school pride. You see that in some companies marketing like Apple building uh, their, their brand through ads like 1984 and Think Different, which are not about the products, how the you know, new features, color screen, they're just about a, a vision and aspiration and people act on that. So this epic meaning and calling is what we call up here white hat core drive. It makes people feel powerful, it makes they feel really engaged, but there's not a lot of urgency, right? There's not like you have to do this right now. So, but if you have this epic meaning and calling environment, people feel like they're happy in the system, they are changing the world, or they are following their faith. So they tend to stick around for longer. And then we have things like core drive seven, unpredictability, and curiosity. So this is basically saying. We're motivated because we don't know what's going to happen next. We're always thinking about it. And this is heavily utilized in the gambling industry, of course. But whenever you have a sweepstakes program, a lottery system, uh, then we, we, we use this core drive a lot too. People say this is the core drive that activates too when you go on your Facebook feed or you go to Instagram. Uh, every time you go on the feed and you refresh the feed, it's like pulling a slot machine bar. Hey, did I win? Did I win? Oh, nothing. How about now? Oh, amazing. And then it Release makes of Yes, and it makes you want to go back to the slot machine game on, on Facebook, Instagram, whenever your brain feels a little bit bored. And drive, some unpredictability and curiosity is on the right bottom of the octagon, which means intrinsic black hat motivation. Intrinsic because our brains enjoy it, but black hat because we feel like we're out of control. So one example would be like, let's say, Game of Thrones, like a popular TV show. Um, we, we enjoy it when we're watching it, so it's intrinsic. But let's say we wanted to go to bed at 11 p.m., but we end up binge watching a bunch of episodes till 4 a.m. in the morning. So we feel like we're not in control. So, so, uh, so you want to really think about what kind of core drive we're using. Some of them are black hat extrinsic, which is what we call core drive six: scarcity and patience. And that's just chasing after care. Like, hey, here's the next goal. Here's something you can't have. You can only get this when you reach level five. And it is quite powerful in driving obsessive behavior. A lot of Farmville. Uh, tactics to use this but in the long run people feel demoralized and they just want to and when they can escape from this they will want to and that's like the happiest day of their lives so there's all these different core drives and they all have pros and cons it's really about how to utilize them in the right place right time
0: yeah and i love the examples that you've given as well because i think it's from the book that you as well have that actionable gamification beyond points badges and leaderboards. like some of these motivations it's got nothing to do with poor points leaderboards or badges, really about uh, understanding that human behavior and what's driving those them to take action or, or driving them not to take action.
1: Yeah, points and badges are really falling into what we call core drive two, development and accomplishment. So it's making people feel progress, a sense of achievement. But first of all, it's just one of those eight core drives. And second of all, it's done incorrectly most of the time, right? When a lot of times people get badges for very small, silly things, and there's just no sense of real accomplishment. So the game design technique is there, but the core drive is not there. No one wants to tell their friends that they just got the, oh, I survived my first day badge, right, if they're not in kindergarten, or I made my first friend badge, right? It's not a real yeah. achievement. So, so that just all needs to be well-designed and optimized.
0: For sure. I think like in the context as well of sales business and subscription businesses, like there's very few examples that I've actually seen where it's been executed well. And probably one of the most interesting examples I've uh, seen, as I mentioned earlier, was with with Basta at ProdPad. And what they did was they actually used gamification to encourage uh, users to take action during the onboarding. And the way they motivated users was they initially had, I think it was a 30-day trial. They cut that to seven days. And then as users took actions throughout their app, they rewarded them with extra trial days. So they could extend that trial period so they could enjoy this free usage of the tool. But at the same time, they were using them to motivate some core drivers and core actions that were needed to take in order to be able to receive value at the end of it. What examples have you seen that have been executed really, really well when it comes to subscription businesses that you were really impressed with and you took back and said, wow, this is a really good use of gamification to drive
1: engagement? You know, one, uh, one example that I just thought of as you, as you mentioned this one is actually Dropbox in, in a similar vibe, right? In Dropbox, uh, at the beginning, they, they have a quest list almost that talks about, oh, well, you can get some space for free, but, you know, it's very limited and you will get 250 more megabytes if you invite a friend, you'll get 250 megabytes more if you follow on Twitter. So it's like a checklist for you to, to earn more space. And what's interesting here is this something we call anchor juxtaposition. Usually, if you tell users, "Hey, pay us or go away," a lot of people will say, "Well, I'm never going to pay these greedy bastards," and they just go away. But if you just tell them to do a bunch of what we call desired actions, such as you know inviting your friends or following Twitter, upload photos, most people just don't want to do that because they feel like it's not beneficial. But when you put them side by side and says, "Hey, in order to get a lot of value, in the case of Dropbox, a lot of space, you can go." Just pay us our month our monthly subscription, or you can start doing these actions. And most people at the beginning just they just don't want to pay money. So they end up doing all these actions, right? They invite their and most of it is done by inviting your friends. So they start send, spamming their friends say, hey, sign up for Dropbox. But then and 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 some people just by principle they're willing to do fifty hours, eighty hours of grinding just to avoid paying five dollars. You know, just like I just don't want to pay, but they're so driven by doing the actions, and they believe now because the other alternative is to pay. If I do this action, it's like I'm getting money, right? I'm getting I'm getting something that I would otherwise pay for free. So that's why I call it anchor junk There's an anchor, and you juxtap- uh you juxtapose the uh, another uh, option next to it. So, and eventually after a, a while, people still, just like me, they think, oh, well, I don't want to spam my friends anymore, but I still need more space. And so I guess I should pay for it. So a lot of their early users end up inviting a bunch of friends and pay for the full product. So it's a very similar vibe. Uh, I, I, myself, I have my own subscription products called Octalysis Prime that people pay uh, monthly memberships to uh, learn about my work, Octalysis Framework, in, in a... Um, in a gamified platform. And I think it's like you talk about the value too. It's, it's like a gym membership. People value it, that's why they sign up in the first place or they're curious, right? But then things get really busy and people just don't go back to it. So li- their lives, they just do stuff and they re- and and then they realize, oh, it's been a one or two months uh, since I've used this and I've been paying every month and I got zero value, I should cancel. So a lot of our designs actually using what we just talked about core drive seven unpredictability and curiosity to get people to come back, uh, daily as a habit. So we have mechanisms like a daily chest. You open it every 20 hours and you can get some, some what we call chow coins. We, I don't have to go into, we don't have to go into details about the whole design, but, um, but some people make it a habit just to come back. Even when they're busy doing other stuff, they just come back and open the chest. Now later on, they can level, they can upgrade to a chest that you can open every 10 hours as opposed to every 20 hours. So now the Diligent players are coming back twice a day to open. And then every time you go on the island, there's a 30% chance a, what we call a Geomon would appear, a little little mystical creature, uh, and you have to spot it. It's not easy to spot, and if you spot it, you have to answer a question that you learn from the island. If you defeat it, you collect that Geomon, and the Geomons go from common to rare to epic, uh, mystical, legendary. So there's only a 0.5% chance. You'll see a legendary. So this also trains people to just often come back and just see if they have if they see a Geomon or not. A lot of our members, they just have the window open. Okay. So this is not the actual value, this is not the education, but the goal is we we need to combat people making a habit to come back every day. Now, if if they're back, they and they have some time, they might as well watch some videos and learn and therefore they get the value which that they paid for. So there's so many things out there. That is just about White Hat. Like we we give you value and people care about the value, but they just get so busy or they get so distracted that they never come and take advantage of it. So that is where Black Hat comes. And Black Hat creates urgency for people to come in more often and, and use the service. But the White Hat experience is what uh, makes them stay for the long term.
0: So it's interesting that you're sort of trying to drive them in on a daily basis. Um, and I think this is one thing like – that it, for me was quite interesting with our chat with Nier is talking about the concept of frequency and understanding natural usage behavior. Um, because if you try to sort of drive an unnatural behavior, an unnatural frequency of usage uh, in your product, you tend to either have this Goldilocks problem where you're bothering your users because you're like trying to reach out to them too much and prompting them too much, or you're not doing it enough and then you end up being forgotten. So how do you sort of understand where the sweet spot is when you're trying to build these behaviors and try to understand like in terms of your nurture strategies or your gamification strategy of what is a good uh, sweet spot for the frequency of usage?
1: Um, So this is what we talk about in terms of trigger designs. And I think Niral talks about that too. There's external trigger versus internal triggers, right? External triggers are, uh, get an email or a salesperson knocks on your door and says, Hey, do the desired actions, do the desired actions uh, or push notification. And then it reminds you to do it. And then there's internal triggers, which, which we talk about when you feel bored, you might go to Facebook. If you see something beautiful, you might take out Instagram. Some people, when they see food at a restaurant served, they, they tell everyone to, uh, to not eat the food until they take pictures of it. And when it comes to external trigger design, there's different types. So what people tend to not like are messages that's like, hey, you haven't been back, back for a while. Come back, come back. We miss you. Come back, come back. Uh, that's kind of annoying, but it becomes much more meaningful if it's a feedback type of trigger. It says, hey, the, uh, the submission you, you, uh, you sent just got approved, right? no one gets upset when they get a trigger like that. In fact, they'll be a little upset if they don't receive something that they told them that they got approved or, hey, you know, uh, and then the next step is if if it's a social trigger. So, hey, someone just liked your picture. Someone just upvoted your stuff. Someone just left a comment for you. Someone just replied to your reply. Most people are pretty happy with that because it's something that uh, they did something, and it's a, a feedback. It's a feedback response, and it's emotional reward. Now, of course, in some scenarios, that could get overwhelming if they're getting, you know, twelve of these in an hour. In which case, I would recommend uh, having a technology that groups it in in one email per day. It says, "Hey, today you got twelve comments." And I'd say most companies um, err in that they don't do it enough. Um, I think six this is just a random number but the feeling is that at least 60% of companies just don't have enough triggers and then the rest the rest of the companies just don't do it intelligently enough or with enough empathy so it's you know they set up the automated uh, trigger rules and they forget that seven of them could be activated at the same time and a user gets seven different emails to for different things so um, yeah i'd i'd say um, for those if it's about hey something you did uh, is it became more meaningful daily is fine uh, multiple times a day is still a little tricky i'd say for things like newsletters uh, i wouldn't go more than two times a week just the generic blast but probably once a week is is fine for a more generic audience if it's a subscription program people are already paying for it that means there's pretty strong buy-in. then you can probably do a beginning of the week and end, like a like a say hey this is what's ahead of the week and uh, and the end of the week wrap up i think those are fine for members who actually have subscribed and therefore have a higher commitment uh, score.
0: Yeah. And it it makes a lot of sense. What you're saying as well in the context is like uh, not just sending out these notifications, come back or we haven't seen you in a while uh, really being a little bit smart about the way you go about reaching back out to customers and trying to find value or find a social connection or some sort of motivation that's going to bring them back other than you just saying, Hey, we haven't seen you.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's nice if you can build like a different type of launched events or programs with that. So if let's say uh, it's a monthly subscription, so every so then you say, "Hey, we have a two-week competition going on, uh, the newest season three competition." Blah blah blah. That's a that's a fine email that gets you it's like, "Oh, I haven't thought about this or used it for a while. Let me let me jump on this." And I usually recommend having even if it's an event, have it go for. two two weeks and then have people rest for one or two weeks and then uh, it shouldn't be consistently some events going on and it shouldn't be obviously consistently empty but that just gives you a good excuse to message people and say something's new happening starting soon so why don't you uh, come back and uh, enjoy the value we provide again
0: and that goes back to sort of that variable reward concept as well if you're always keeping people on their toes and not having this sort of consistent experience of being rewarded uh, or being enticed with new offers it sort of starts to get this banner uh, blindness mentality when you stop seeing them you start noticing. Um, so uh, let's talk about in the context as well then of engagement itself so I think like we, we talked about this and for typically for subscriptions I think it's pretty much every SaaS subscription as well out there tends to happen in the similar way is that uh, you sign up for product, you start using it, a couple of months go by, you slowly start, like different things come up, work happens, life happens, and uh, you you start to forget about the tool, one or two months go by, and then you stop paying because you realize you're not uh, using this tool regularly. Uh, over and above sort of notification strategy, uh, what are some of the things that you see companies that do really well that Help uh, like their users avoid ever actually getting to that point where uh, they've realized they haven't been using the tool for two months.
1: Yeah. So first of all, as you noted, there's not a lot of companies that do this very well. Um, that's part of the reason what why I wanted to create uh, Acasus Prime because I just wanted to. It's frustrating to to know how to do things and recommend companies, and uh, sometimes you design a, a horse, but then a camel comes out. But I'd say back to the framework in terms of the principles, right? You want to know where the issue is. So we break down a player's journey into four phases discovery phase, which is why they choose to sign up. And this deals with branding and marketing. And then, and a lot of product designers ignore that. But it's very important because they think the user experience starts when they sign up. But the reason why they sign up makes a huge difference, right? Did they just click on a random ad or did their best friend say, tell them that? change their lives there's totally different amount of motivation sometimes the marketing agency would pitch like this this epic meaning and calling that we just talked about and it's inspiring and when they sign up to the product none of that's there because it's a different team that works on that so from the user perspective that journey is should be consistent and it should be aligned and so and because the marketing is the promise and the onboarding the beginning of that promise so so discovery phase onboarding scaffolding and end game and you really want to see where where that issue is. Um, in terms of onboarding, like you mentioned a lot of time, it is about just making people feel smart. A lot of people sign up to something new and they just feel kind of stupid. Uh, I, I regularly tell my clients that users don't want to interact with a smart product. They want to feel smart when they interact with the product. Some products are very sophisticated, intelligent, and people respect it, but they don't wanna to touch it because the moment they touch it, they feel pretty stupid. For for some, it's like dealing with Photoshop or you know, DJ panels. And they know, again, it's very respectable. People who use it swear by it, but they just don't wanna do it right now. So, so you wanna see where that issue is. But when it comes to, and there's tons of company that have problem retention in the first you know, one month, which is onboarding to early scaffolding. But when it comes to later, it's really about, again, Core 5 social influence and relatedness. People stay for the community. A community is something that is is on the right side of the octagon. So it's an intrinsic motivation core drive. You don't need a reward. You don't necessarily even need to get quote unquote value. You just need to feel appreciated. You feel you belong. You feel like you have friends and you're sharing ideas and and how you feel and events. So when, that, when you have a community, people stay for a long time. Just like uh, when we grow up, we have these friends, right? Sometimes we hang out with these friends every single day for three hours a day and there's no progress there's no points there's no badges and it's always fun it's never boring and and that that is one of the key, the key things that especially a subscription program have which is not just subscription cuz subscription is the re, uh, the business model but a membership situation a membership and then a community i think that keeps retention very well and um, and you know things like these are not subscription but you know, Reddit did a good job building that community feel, and people feel pride. Like, I'm, I'm a Redditor, right? Um, and even like uh, Stack Overflow, things like that. But I think at the end of the day, what makes it truly engaging is uh, the core drive three, empowerment of creative and feedback. And that's on the right top of the octagon, which is it's wide hat and intrinsic. So it's like a golden right top corner. This is allowing people to come up with strategy, meaningful choices, uh, self-expression, and so, for instance, in um, in Octalysis Prime, there are different ways for people to use different boosters and power ups, and and level up faster, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, it's interesting because some people say they're perp- they're not watching new videos that I'm launching, which is again the desired action, because they want to find the perfect moment where they they get the right booster potions and have the right power ups and their success buddy is on, which is another system where if someone's logged in at the same within six hours of you, you get bonuses. Um, they wanted to align the stars and then finally watch a bunch of videos. And so in a sense, it kind of feels like, well, wait a second, that person is not watching a video and not learning because of this game case design. But in my mind, I don't, I don't mind it because they're still playing, right? They're strategizing, they're waiting, they're waiting for the perfect combination. That's almost like a game where you're a sniper, right? You're not shooting, but just sitting there and waiting, you're still playing the game. And if you're waiting for, when you're waiting for that perfect moment, you're not going to quit, quit the game. And when you actually do it, when you do the full combo, you feel excited, right? It's like everyone gets a hundred, let's say experience points, but you suddenly get 22,000 because you align everything all together. And, and so I think it's really about how engaged they are in it. Uh, similar example is in credit cards. Uh, you know, most people when they sign up to a credit card, they don't know all the rules. They just know, oh, if I just spend money, you swipe it, I probably get something back. But when they suddenly pull out like a spreadsheet and start optimizing, I should transition my points to here because they never expire. And I should, and this is my grocery card. This is my uh, this is my gas card card. When they have an optimization strategy model. That's when they get really engaged, and they don't. And now they're studying everything. They're looking at better, like other offers, and how to play this game well. So I think two months ago, one of the Octas Prime members, we call them OP members, uh, made a strategy guide video about how he plays the game, how he goes through this education platform, and I was very happy because you would only be able to have a strategy guide if there's again meaningful choices, right? Uh, in experience, a lot of experience are monotonous. They're they're just do these five steps and maybe get some kind of reward or a badge and then do these five steps again and get and finish this module or get a certificate. There's no real meaningful choices. And I think that's where people truly engage and they play and they become really passionate about the experience.
0: Makes total sense. Uh, and like, I think you touched on it a little bit, but um, maybe you want to talk to it a bit more in terms of like when you think of the concept of gamification, another concept as well is personalization um and really making sort of the game or the product uh, your own and um how important do you think like the side of personalization is like how well do you think companies do of like making the product their own uh how do you see this sticking in with the framework and uh, really um helping to improve that sort of engagement in the product
1: yeah, I think personalization is extremely powerful, just a little difficult. So personalization uh, can, uh, usually goes into Core Drive 4 ownership possession, which is on the, on the left side of the octagon. And we talked about Core Drive 3, empowerment of creati- creativity feedback can allow you to personalize and customize, but the end result is more of a sense of ownership. And so uh, personalization, there's often two types, right? One is the automated personalization, kind of call it the Alfred effect, like Uh, batman and and alfred where the system's learning about your preference what you like and serving uh what you want even before you ask for it so a lot of subscription programs that have budgets do it you know netflix has has their recommendation engines to say hey um you know these are the ones you most likely watch because again um we talk about you never want to let users accidentally stumble upon a bad experience you know especially onboarding which you can control like everything the user can possibly click on should lead to a good experience Uh, there's Plenty of apps that are platforms. You, you sign up, you're a newbie, and then suddenly you get thrown on a dashboard and there's like like eight options on the navigation bar and there's another nine on the sidebar and you really don't know what to do and you feel stupid. And then you click on, let's say, friends, and then it says, you have no friends, right? And so so why would you even allow the user to do that if you know it creates a bad experience, right? You, As an, as an experienced designer, you probably know that those are these are the one two places a user can should click on to have a, a decent experience on, on day one. And you should either use a lot of these what we call glowing choices, little pointy arrows to to strongly, strongly motivate them to go to those places, or just not allow them to go anywhere else. Those those other buttons are are hidden and only when you add your first friend then it says, Hey, you've unlocked your your friend tab. Check out your friend in, in over there. So uh, so that personalization is important to, to allow people to find things that they most likely will enjoy. Now, this is obviously difficult to build. And the other part of personalization is really just giving people uh, more choices. Like, for instance, instead of there's this game design technique called build from scratch, which is connects to what we call the Ikea effect, which is people uh, have shown that they feel more attached to their, their cheap Ikea furniture compared to their... Expensive luxury furnitures because they actually build it with their own hands, and so this is a very interesting balance. Because if you make users put in too much work at the beginning, right, build it with your own hands, like set up your avatar or set up your all your your interest profiles, it could be too much work, and they and they're gone. Um, but we know if they input a little bit of that, I think Near Isle calls uh, calls it planning and investment too. So if you let them do that, then they feel more attached, and makes them want to come back. What we tend to do is we tend to let's say we already uh, instead of giving users everything at the beginning, the whole dashboard. Let's say uh, we allow that we we onboard. We give them experience that says, you know, hey, this is like chaos emptiness. There's nothing there, and they just have to click a button or make two or three simple choices, and then suddenly everything's formed. So it just gives them the user the feeling that I was the one who created this interface of the space or this this adventure. Um, that tends to give them a bit more of an ownership possession type of feeling.
0: And they allow them to make it their own as you go along. And it also talks as well to the, the point you touched on earlier is that nobody wants to feel stupid coming into things. So uh, keeping things a little bit simpler in the end, not sort of uh, pushing things in front of users that you know are going to give a negative experience because there's nothing there to show yet. Uh, is sort of like that thoughtful behavioral design of really trying to consider how a user is experiencing your product for the first time, what their psychological state is going into it. Uh, I think, like for me, this is where like the real power, when you think about a framework like Octalysis, is is really taking into consideration uh, all that the mental state that your user is going through throughout their journey.
1: Yeah, one one common mistake when a company's designed their products and built their wireframes is they always show wireframes in the scaffolding phase. It's like, hey, look, this is the leaderboard, this is their feed, this is where you can find their friends, and it looks all good, right? But when a person first signs up and onboarding, that's not what they see. They see you have zero friends, you're the last place in the onboarding, you have no quests, you've done nothing, you're a loser altogether, right? It's just not engaging and motivating. So the point where they make a decision of whether this is good or not is not is not the point that users encounter. And, and unsurprisingly, a lot of users drop out at that very beginning. So, so you usually want to think, okay, is there a totally different view that an a onboarding user should, I mean, it's something simple, like instead of saying you have zero friends, it just, that, bo- that little box just says, go and find friends now with a button, right? Um, it, it's not saying you're a loser, it's saying, hey, here's the things you, you can do to become a winner. I think just little things like that really uh, boost an experience.
0: I like that a lot. I think you're absolutely correct in saying like it's almost like an afterthought, these empty states. It's like, let me design the perfect wireframe of what the end user experience is going to be achieving. But uh, it's those empty states is really is those moments where you have your user at their most vulnerable states or that you want to be sort of giving them those drivers and pushing them through. Uh, You said as well, like this is something that companies do wrong. Uh, I wanted to ask like, what other areas do you see when it comes to like uh, companies trying to introduce a gamification strategy into the product? Like, what other things are companies doing wrong that uh, you wish like they would just pay more attention to? Uh,
1: when companies are actually doing gamification, I think they have an overly reliance on extrinsic motivation. We talk about the points and badges, and 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 just empty points and badges. So. They'll just say, hey, you know, do this stuff and you get points and that's it. It's just a number you look at. You don't do anything with the points or hey, you, you get points and can level up, which is a little better, but then leveling up means nothing. Right? It's just number. You know, they're just they're just computing numbers that's shared on your screen. Um, some some companies say, well, your points you can redeem for some some rewards. But then a lot of times the economy is really bad you know, you spend a thousand hours doing something and you get $5 worth of value and that actually harms the experience. So uh, you'd rather not have that at all because people think, wow, uh, instead of I, instead of spending a thousand hours doing something fun and meaningful, I spent a thousand dollars just to get five bucks and it's insulting and they leave. So so I think I re- it's really important to actually have a game loop. If you look at a game, it's what when the desired action is to let's say kill monsters. If you kill monsters, you level up. Right, and you can get gear. Level up makes you look cooler and it makes you stronger. Getting gear makes you also um, look stronger and uh, and and also love and become stronger and look better. But looking better, that's it, right? That's the end. That's like a badge that's just sitting there. And if you really want to go back and kill more monsters, get more. But going stronger actually makes you want to go back and kill more monsters, right? It becomes a game loop. It's not just a number at the end you look at, but it actually you do something with it. And I've created tons of game loops. And you look at World of Warcraft's game loop, and uh, the the, uh, the average uh, gamification products game loop. Like the average gamification product is not a loop. It's a linear. Um, you know, take this module after ten times you get you you get points, and then you get a badge, and that's it, and it ends. So it's really about thinking of a long term user journey that has a game loop, not just an activity loop, activity loop is what you want them to do over and over again. A game loop is that the game design actually motivates them to do it over and over and over again. And a lot of time it's done through some booster designs, whatnot. So so I think that's the number one mistake I see when companies try gamification.
0: Yeah. Uh, and sort of just slapping it on top and expecting results to, to come out of it. Uh, on that, though, as well, like when it, you sort of think about it, so you've given us some really like strong gamification examples of, of games themselves, and we talked about like Dropbox a little bit earlier, but um, when it comes to sort of uh, points in the gamification system, like do you have any good example of uh, a software out there that uses gamification effectively to uh, and with points specifically or badges to drive engagement within their product?
1: I think some of them are not ideal but decent. I think how uh, Khan Academy uses uh, gamification or Duolingo, uh, in many ways, are 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 pretty decent. Um, not not still still many places to improve. I think it's just because if you don't have a framework design and looking at all aspects, you just go by what you feel is like is great. And some people are more talented than others. Um, there are Mm, yeah some of the credit card companies or airline miles they they do a decent job at getting people to be really engaged i think um and then just it just depends on different the different player types for for the gamified products i feel like there's just a lot of them that in the first one or two months people are finding semi-interesting but eventually they kind of they kind of just um they kind of because there's no kind the camera. I think one company is called Crown It in India. So they're a restaurant loyalty type of app. They actually do something pretty interesting. It's not just the point, but they're they're about gathering uh, points when they go to a restaurant, which is kind of simple by itself. But what they do is before you go to the restaurant, you get to sit on your couch at home. And then you look at all the restaurants around your area and you play a spinning wheel game, which is a low commitment. And they just want to see what they get. And the result of that, you can get either five percent extra bonus uh, loyalty points if you eat there, or ten percent or fifteen percent. And you just, you know, you get five, you maybe move on to another restaurant and you play it again. So you're just playing. But once you get fifteen percent, that's the highest one, right? Like, yeah, I'm so lucky at fifteen percent. Well, the, the thing about a booster reward is that if you just get the reward and you don't do anything afterwards, it's kind of pointless, right? It's kind of just it's as if you didn't get a reward. So the only thing that makes sense is now they take they take this fifteen percent discount, they go to the restaurant, they eat there and they get their bonus. And the unique thing is also when they eat there, they also get a little raffle ticket. So once a week there's a draw a raffle ticket to draw a free iPhone and they only allow five minutes for they only show the winning uh lottery number for five minutes of that week so every that's that's what we call core drive six scarcity and patience design so everyone's adding this on their calendar they're prioritizing it thinking about it and and of course if anything it makes it guarantees that their users are, are coming back and thinking about it once a week so i think they they're uh, they're pretty they've done their jobs pretty well they have a massive amount of users i think last time i checked they uh they raise uh i think over ten million dollars from uh, there's an Indian company raising ten million dollars from uh, from a Silicon Valley venture capitalist. So yeah, I think I think this is an example where it's again it's not just getting points right. It's really about creating a gameful environment with the context with the with the lottery and the spinning wheel. I think those experiences tend to be more engaged. It's like a game, right? A game you it game doesn't tell you to do something boring and if you do a thousand times you'll get points and a badge right it doesn't make sense the gameplay has to be fun first and i think creating the right context matters a lot
0: very interesting uh and i guess as well with that case it is something that at the end of it's like a social aspect to going out to the restaurant as well you're being rewarded with food i think people uh, who doesn't love food as well so um Next thing and the last thing I wanted to ask you today as well, Yukai, then, was I want to put you in a, a bit of a scenario and let's pretend uh, you're starting a new job in a, a software subscription company. Uh, churn is not great, like, uh, retentions is not great, and uh, you've been now asked to see if you can turn things around using some gamification strategies. Like, what do you do in your first couple of months at this company?
1: Uh, well, I do live through that scenario very often because you know, my consulting company gets invited to companies and say, hey, we have this problem. How would you solve it? So it's it's actually a pretty uh, uh, s- documented five-step process. But the first step is really uh, defining what we call the strategy dashboard, which is identifying what the business metrics are, what's the priority, what's the trade-off, who, who are we targeting, who's the player types, what core drives motivate them, what are the desires they need to do all the desired actions they need to do uh, to fulfill those business metrics. And this actually includes every single step, you know, clicking this button, putting their credit card information, uploading a photo, because every one of these actions require a bit of motivation energy. And so if you don't plan any uh, motivation triggers in it, then that's where they could just drop out. Then we think about feedback mechanics and triggers to motivate people towards it. And we think about emotional and physical rewards and incentives to embed in the win states when people reach the desired action. So that's the first step. Again, depending on what the company is, uh, the content will be different, but the steps are 100% always the same. Then after that, what we uh, tend tend to do is just come up with a big brainstorming list of uh, the four phases, and each phase, we think there's eight core drives. Are there ideas to motivate people to, let's say, uh, do the onboarding tutorial through court on epic meaning and calling how about development and accomplishment and so usually about hundred 200 new ideas will come out of that and um, And But of course a client wouldn't be able to or in this case my employer wouldn't be able to do hundred 200 ideas for sure Right, so the third step is what we call the PE feature list. So for each one of these ideas we give a power score and the e-score how powerful it is to motivate desired behavior and how easy it is to implement it and then we Combine those two scores in a little formula, and then, um, and then it, it becomes the lowest hanging fruit that has the highest impact, like, oh, these are the 17 things or the five things we want to do. And then the next step is create what we call a battle plan spreadsheet. So that's all the details the, of the reward schedule, the activity loop, the balance economy. And you know it's, it's very easy to break an economy if you have a point system. Uh, or make the uh, labor to reward ratio incorrect and, and demoralize people, so that's where we do that. And then finally, it's to create wireframes and um, and uh, sto- you know storyboards to just showcase what that experience would 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 feel like when the user interacts with it. So yeah, those are those are those are the five that you, you mentioned two, three months, like I think two months. So that those steps do uh, take two to three, like mostly probably three months for for client projects. And by going through those steps, usually it's like a, it's like a hundred to $150,000 project. So, um, yeah. So again, I shared those five steps on online. So I I recommend people just go and and learn it and if they can do it very well, then again, it's probably could be a hundred thousand dollars each, each time they do it
0: very nice yeah i love the systematic approach as well to it like it definitely sounds like you've worked through this challenge and this problem quite a bit with companies and having that sort of formula like you said like the the company might change the product might change but the problem at its root cause is the same and uh Having that mindset when it comes to like, how can we create engagements, having and that understanding of the four different phases that the user is going through and uh, releasing how you can align and uh, sort of drive engagement at the different stages of motivation of your user. Super, super powerful. Uh, yeah, the can- nice
1: thing is that the, uh, the human brain doesn't change. So as long as we're dealing with humans in all sorts of environments, then there is a constant that we can work with.
0: Yeah, I couldn't have said that better. Definitely, like, we're, we're all human at the end of it. And uh, so, is there anything you'd like to leave us with you, Kai? Like, I really, really had a, uh, enjoyed this chat with you today. It's been super valuable listening to sort of your frameworks and uh, your methodologies. Like, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Like, how can they keep up to date with you? Uh, oh, sure.
1: Um, so, my blog is ukaichow.com, Y-U-K-I-C-H-O-U.com. Um, I share a lot of the the Different framework aspects, the analysis I do—it's um, actually how I started uh, building building my reputation in the first place. You can check out my book, Actionable Gamification, it's on Amazon. If you search gamification, I think it's the first result. And of course, I mentioned a few times if you pro- if you've been through a lot of my content and you want more and you want to see how at least I apply what I'm teaching uh, in my own subscription program, you can check out uh, Octalysis Prime. But uh, again, no no pressure at all. It's, I, I'm just glad that people are learning and and improving their their lives and the products
0: very cool well thank you very much for joining today Yukai. it's been a pleasure having you and uh, wish you best of luck going forward all right thank you cheers and that's a wrap for the show today with me andrew michael i really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business to keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to Andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly... If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.